0: Salut tout le monde. Hey everybody. Uh, Hey, that that turned out to be pretty fun. And I think we all have to admit nobody was expecting the Montreal Canadiens to, uh, to come back and rally there. So we're going to get, we have a great guest tonight. I already brought him in right now, but, uh, Prasant who works, who does some of the best work with data analysis, obviously worked with the uh, winged wheels podcast and, uh, or sorry, Wheeling in Motown and also The Athletics. so he's a former colleague of mine. Before we get going though, I just want to say hi to everybody in the chat and I appreciate you guys so much for being here. Salut Alexandre, hi Kay, hi Melissa, uh, hi Trezac, and of course, hi Claire, how's it going? So we're going to talk about all things Habs. You know what, I'll admit, I was getting a little cranky today while watching the game, like a, like a baby who didn't get his diaper changed, I was getting annoyed, but... We're going to listen to what Prasant has to say because I think he has a bit of a fresher uh, view on the Montreal Canadians. And uh, given that the Detroit Red Wings haven't been in the playoffs for what, eight years now, Prasant? Eight years. Oh boy. Okay, yeah. So so he knows a thing or two about rebuilds, okay? You you heard that. He had that one ready. So uh, if you could like this stream and uh, subscribe, that would also be much appreciated. And hi, Tyler. Hi from Detroit. Hi from Motown. So we're going to get going right now. Hey, listen, Prasanth, that was, I'll tell you, I was upset for the first time in a long time. I was thinking of Martin Saint-Louis does a terrible job preparing his teams. This is a team that got, that allowed the first goal five games in a row, uh, 18 out of the last 20 or something like that. But the other side of it is he's a great motivator. And when the chips are down, which they are often, we see these type of rallies. So can I get your perspective on the game tonight?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think the, the way the first period started was actually a little bit of a shock for, for me, too, because just like Montreal, Detroit's a team that doesn't start particularly fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a stretch earlier in the season where they had given up the first goal. I think it was like an eight or nine consecutive games. You know, they they, they tend to have that be their, their lowest scoring period. And so to walk out of that period with three goals from the wings, It's it, it was a very different feeling for me. But at the crux of it, I didn't necessarily feel like it was a poorly played period by other team. I didn't think there was a whole lot of chances that really happened one way or another in that first period. Uh, But really, over the second and the third, what I thought was very interesting was as the wings relaxed their forecheck and as they stopped applying Mm -hmm. pressure to the Montreal defensemen, Montreal started to really fly in transition. And I think Canadians fans are probably very, very familiar that... You know, Montreal a team that, that plays a little bit of a run and gun style, where Big they thing. try to get their chances, but they also give up a lot. They give up a lot of scoring chances off the rush. But I thought what 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 happened tonight was was very interesting in the in sort of midway through the second, where Detroit really stopped applying the forecheck, the forecheck deep in the in Montreal zone, mm-hmm. and it allowed Montreal to start attacking quickly in transition, and and all of a sudden chances were stacking against the wings and. And really, Montreal had a lot of opportunities uh, to potentially even win that game in regulation. I thought Billy Husso had to make a couple of tremendous saves, including right after Montreal tied the game, the giveaway to Nick Suzuki right there in the slot. I mean, that could have been 5-4 immediately. So, you know, overall, I was quite impressed with Montreal's speed through the neutral zone and kind of taking what the wings were giving to them, particularly as the game progressed.
0: I, uh, you can't, my main takeaway from all this is that you can't, stop Yoel Armia you can only hope to contain him to a certain extent right so that's two games in a row that uh, Armia has scored a, a pretty nice goal and it's it was concerning because the first 30 minutes of the game he was their best player uh, got that promotion but as Kay mentions in the chat Alan had a bad first 30 minutes and a good last 30 minutes well I, I feel like that's true and that's also it correlates perfectly with uh the whole team having a bad Start and again, I really think that's a Martin Saint Louis thing. But as Prasanth mentions, they did rally late. And for a young team that's rebuilding, like these type of games, even if it's a 5 4 loss, in my opinion, does and I'm going to use that C word play gives character. Okay, and uh, down the road, these are the type of lessons they realize you have to start, start quick, um, you have to put your army on the top line, and you have to uh, hopefully score a power play goal. So, I guess. If we go after every little detail, it could be seen as a rough game. But overall, and you know this quite well, percent. these are the type of games through a rebuild that aren't seen as that bad
1: from the coaching staff, right? Yeah, these are the types of games where if when you're in the midst of a rebuild, and and I say this as someone who has watched a, <laughs> in a historically awful team in 2019-2020, a, a Detroit Red Wings team that would have challenged for you know, the second worst goal differential in the history of the league <laughs> had it been a full season. Was it that bad? It was that bad. Oh, wow. It was that bad. 2019, 2020, uh, you know, the, thankfully it wasn't a full season and I didn't have to finish it out because it was that bad. And and really what you're looking for in those types of seasons, not saying that Montreal is anywhere near the the, the talent of that, that team, was that Montreal is far better than they were. Mm-hmm. You're looking for games that are competitive. You're looking for resiliency. You're looking for the ability – to capitalize on what's being given to you. You're looking for growth from your younger players. And I thought you saw a lot of that. You know, this is still a very young Montreal team and and, and even a team that doesn't have all of their pieces, you know, obviously with Kirby Doc mm-hmm. uh, not being able to, to go after the first game. So I thought it was a very encouraging game from a Montreal standpoint that you're able to fight back against a team that's currently in playoff position against a team that believes they are primed for the playoffs. You know, adding a guy like Patrick Kane, and all the off-season additions the Red Wings made—it sort of tells you exactly uh, yeah. what they're thinking. But Montreal being able to fight back is exactly what you want to see in kind of a rebuilding team.
0: Are you? Because we have some Detroit fans here. Are you? Listen, I—I I, I understand what Steve Iserman's doing, especially in a city like Detroit. You can't go on too lo- losing for too long, right? Like there's there, there's a point of diminishing returns with your with your draft, but it does feel like the Red Wings kind of pushed pause on the rebuild you know, whether they would have had a chance or not, it was happening, you know, this year, obviously with Confer and then the Brinkat, which was been, which was a great, great, great move. Do you feel like it was a little hasty on Iserman's part? Or do you think that this is sustainable as something they can build into becoming a, a contender?
1: You know, that's a, that's a terrific question. And I think the the traditional view of how to rebuild a team, at least in recent years has been, you've got to do it through the draft. You can't spend a lot of money in free agency because you end up overpaying. And then trades don't often materialize in a fashion, or at least unless you're, enough, you unless, you're unless you're Vegas, right. those, unless you're yeah. Vegas, then unless you're Vegas, then Ottawa just case, hands make you, your yeah. Own luck, yeah. yeah, right? Because <laughs> it's Vegas, you make your own luck and you get those <laughs> deals to work out. But you know, in the case of Detroit, their days of being at the very bottom of the league were done. They, you know, just by natural kind of variants they were no longer going to be a contender to be the worst in the they, league and they were really bad land. enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay. right they were bad enough and and unfortunately for detroit and unfortunately for montreal on a sense <laughs> detroit never had any lottery luck. detroit didn't win the lottery at any point in time even that 2019 2020 year when they were historically awful mm-hmm. they picked fourth and they that that ended up being lucas raymond which worked out very nicely for them but they picked fourth that draft and so what I think the mindset ended up being was, look, we're not getting draft luck. We're not getting lottery luck. Switch it up. And so either we're going to say, we're going to have to sell everything off to try and be so bad and then hope the lottery works in our favor with the Connor Bedard draft with, you know, Macklin, uh, Celebrini and Paul oh. coming up or Michael Misa next year. Uh, you know, it was, it was either you take that trajectory or you say, look, I'm going to steer into free agency. I'm going to steer into uh, trades and I'm going to hope that the guys I've added thus far through the draft are going to be enough along with the development of the young guys on the roster already mm-hmm. to be able to get this team into a sustainable content. That's the gamble that Steve Eisenman's taking right now. I don't know whether it works. But we're seeing big steps from Lucas Raymond. Simon Edmondson is on fire Mm -hmm. right now in Grand Rapids. You know, Axel Sandin-Pellico over in the SHL. The the Red Wings
0: are above the Leafs in the standings as well. I'd like to point that out. And
1: so, you know, right now, (laughs) you look at it, the Red Wings have, you know, one of the better teams in the league in terms of points that they've earned on the season. And they've got prospects that are performing at a high level that are not currently on the roster. And that was the gamble Iserman made. It was... If I can add enough guys where this this internal roster gets better and I have the potential to add more prospects that are playing well, uh that I've already drafted, maybe I do get there. That was his gamble. It's a different way of building the team than what the traditional kind of perspective has been. But that that's the shot he took. And you know, I'm I'm naturally a skeptic, yeah, but thus far I I've got nothing to argue with because look at where the team is right now. It, yeah.
0: it, it, I think the biggest gamble as well, Prasant, was that the Atlantic division was it looked like it was going to be just hell this year. And I mean, it still is to a certain extent, but like Buffalo was a city created just to test the limits of fan patience. We know that. The Senators are, are imploding. So it kind of worked out well in that, in that sense. They're playing well. The rest of the division is struggling. Do you feel like the Montreal Canadiens with what they have right now, you know, you have some really good pieces, lacks elite talent. Do you think that's a viable option for them to, to it probably shouldn't happen next year, but maybe in a year or two, add a Celebrini or something like that to the lineup and then say, Hey guys, like, you know, if we want to get a ride on the riverboat, we got to go down by the river. So let's, let's make it to the point that we have enough talent. Or do you feel with the the talent that's coming up in the next two, three years that that Habs are better off going full Chicago Blackhawks actually you know what it's it's too late for the full Chicago Blackhawks who which team always does bad and gets pat, bad picks San Jose recently so they could go the San Jose route or uh they could just start adding do you think it's a viable option with guys like Suzuki as your foundation uh Montembeau, uh Caulfield obviously Ghouli. Is is that enough of a core to really build on
1: you know, that, that's, a, that's a fantastic question. I think if you're thinking about what the two trajectories are, being that traditional teardown, go for the top picks, mm-hmm. you know, you do have a couple of good drafts coming up. Macklin Celebrini has been terrific oh, this year. He's good. And then Michael Misa coming up in 2025 is going to be another tremendous, uh, you know, player. You obviously have the potential. And with the changes made to the NHL draft lottery, there is there is definitely a little bit more of an incentivized, you know, Maybe reason to chase after that. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know even even with tonight's loss, getting that one point, the Canadians have a nine-point lead over Chicago and San Jose
0: already. <laughs> it's, it's so hard to be the worst in the NHL now. Like right. it's, it's harder to be the worst than it is to be the best in the sense that teams just have no shame anymore, right?
1: That that's exactly it. You, <laughs> I, I I'm sorry, Montreal. Even in the loaded Atlantic Division, you're not catching Chicago and San Jose for nope. worst in the league. And you know, fact of the matter is, yeah, potentially if you end up in the bottom ten, you you may win a lottery and you may get to go up to first, mm-hmm. but that's not a strategy that you want to bet on. That's yeah, that's not something that I think fundamentally makes a lot of sense for the Canadians, mm-hmm. particularly when you've got some pieces already in the system. You know, they 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 absolutely have a potential decor that's gonna look very, very nice. Yep. They've got a potential Mobile. couple of forwards that I think are gonna be <laughs> I think you're going to be, you know, players, but not necessarily elite. Though that's the issue, right? Not, 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 not necessarily elite. But if you look at Detroit, right, nobody in Detroit, I think you could label as elite. Cider, Dylan Larkin, most cider is kind of an interesting guy. He looks, he looked like he was going to be there as a rookie. Mm. I still think he's got that trajectory in him, but he had a, he kind of had a setback his sophomore year, and then this year has sort of been up and down for him. So I haven't really seen him go into that vaulted elite like squarely elite category, but I think there is a way to build a team where the focus is not necessarily on having as you know, a couple of elite guys, but it's making sure you don't have weaknesses throughout the lineup. Yeah. And I think that was something that we've seen, you know, a number of teams really do. You know, Vegas obviously had Jack Eichel go on a tear last year, but outside of Eichel, it wasn't prime Mark Stone there. It wasn't, you know, a prime you know jonathan and marches so He's it's guys that so, you know. yeah yeah it's not guys that you would necessarily consider elite but you would consider them very very good and i think montreal has a potential to potentially you know create a team that is a lot of very good guys yeah uh and so i don't think you need to be adding right now i think if you're the canadians you know you sort of see how the lottery works the next one two years particularly knowing what's coming in 2024 and 2025 But following 2025, you're going to have to make some decisions because you're going to have to decide, can you end up building a team that's going to be competitive with Nick Suzuki as, you know, the best forward on that team, or are you going to have to start moving on and and considering an alternative option? And that's the same decision the Red Wings had to make with, can we build a competitive team around Dylan Larkin, Mm -hmm. or do we have to tear down and focus on a Lucas Raymond, Mo Sider, Nate Danielson, you know, Marco Casper, Simon Edmondson core. And the same question will end up coming up in Montreal, uh, you know, whether it'll be the Nick Suzuki group or you'll have to end up focusing depending on the development of Slavkovsky, you know, if Caulfield continues to be the player that he is, that's where you'll end up having that question is, is it around those guys plus a Reinbacher, uh, you know, and a, and a ghoulie and, and, and focusing in that perspective. So I think you probably play your lottery chances for the next uh one to two years not necessarily fully selling out but just keeping yourself in the bottom 10 Mm -hmm. to give yourself the chance to move up to one and then after that you've got to have that hard conversation of can we build around suzuki or do we need to start thinking about getting what we can for suzuki and tearing it all the way back down
0: i have two comments on that number one i could listen to you talk about hockey all day because this is honestly just clear and concise and the question i threw out at you i i did i pulled the michael scott i took off without a place to land there and you still answered it perfectly so much appreciated and also if everyone in the chat could go ahead and just give us a like and subscribe we'd really appreciate it we do have Trinka is here is was is Trzac here as well maybe not but Trinka was at the game right is that it Trinka was at the game or oh, wore a new hook jersey hey listen the fun part is with the Montreal Canadians this year as Prasant mentioned at the opening of the show is that they're still gonna give you A good, uh, you know, maybe not against the Kings, but they're gonna give you teams a run for their money, and we saw that tonight. We saw the offense jumping into the rush. I have this theory that this summer the Montreal Canadiens told all their defensemen, "You have to jump in the rush a lot more." It's because Martin St. Louis also mentioned it several press conferences, but there feels like there's a point of diminishing returns when you really when you force your defensemen to activate. In this case, maybe it's not causation, but there's a strong correlation with the defensemen scoring more and the Habs allowing more odd-man rushes. How do you, how do you find that balance because guys like Jonathan Kovacevic, who I love, love Jonathan Kovacevic. I don't know if I want him jumping into the play every, you know, two two or three uh, times the Habs are on the rush. So how do you find that balance? Do you just tell, tell guys like, hey, Gouli, you can go. Jonathan, you stay here. Because Marte Célui has this free-flowing, kind of a hippie-ish approach to hockey. It's great from an offensive standpoint, but defensively, the Habs are struggling. So tell me what's the number one thing defensemen have to do to defend the rush properly. Let's start with that.
1: Yeah. You know, I think first and foremost, from a, if, you, if you start at the coaching level, I think the one of the things I've started to appreciate really over the last couple of years is his coach is coaches not necessarily forcing a system, but uh, finding ways to elevate players based on their strengths. Mm-hmm. So it, it's exactly what you said. Jonathan Kovacevic, he's not going to play a Kale McCarr style of game. If you ask him to play a Kale McCarr style of game, you're not going to get a very good <laughs> hockey game. But if you can find the type of game that he can play uh, and, and and really find a way to kind of deploy him to his strengths and coach him to his strengths, potentially you maximize what you can get out of them. A great example of this, and I'm going to throw it back with a a, a guy that you're, you guys are all too familiar with and Ben Sherratt. Oh. And so Ben Sherratt <laughs> is a guy that uh, gets, gets a lot of flack um, really, really across the league for the way he plays. But if you, if you fundamentally isolate Ben Sherratt, he's a terrific skater, yeah. absolutely terrific skater. But the challenge is, is exactly what you said, is he struggles with when to pinch, when not to pinch, when to chase, when not to chase, when to go behind the net, when to when to stay back. This season has really been the, the first season I've seen him make the best decisions. And I think a lot of it has to do with coaching. And so bringing it back to the Canadians, when you're talking about your different defensemen, it is giving somebody a green light and it's giving somebody a yellow light. It's giving someone, this is what to look for um, but I think a lot of uh, defensemen pinching, and particularly in Martin St. Louis' system, a lot of it is also reliant on forwards understanding what their defensemen are going to do. Communication is so, big. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's got to be communicated, but it's also got to be predictable, right? The forwards got to know this this defenseman's got a green light to go, so I need to be ready to drop back. This defenseman's got a yellow light. This is, situation doesn't seem like they're going to go. I'm going to go ahead and make the pinch, because you're trying to avoid scenarios where two guys play the same situation, and then you end up with the odd man rush against. Because right now, you know, we've seen the data: the Canadians give up the most scoring chances against against you know on the odd man rush. They give up the most in the league, By and far. it's it's <laughs> often due to those miscommunications where you've got two guys that are not on the same page. And you can question whether or not it's just young hockey players. You can question whether it's the wrong messaging. I don't know what it is not being in that locker room but I think at the end of the day you've got to coach players to their strengths looking at the the Habs defense right now you don't have a ton of guys that can that can really be that dynamite offensive pinching type player that maybe Martin St. Louis wants you've got guys in the in the prospect pool that can yeah but they're not there yet and so until they get there uh, I don't know that you're going to be uh, ultimately very successful uh, w- w- with kind of a free-flowing system.
0: Yeah, I think, and I think the biggest criticism for Martín Salvi is not that he he essentially jumped into a situation where the locker room was unhealthy, so he kind of had to let to remind these guys why they fell in love with hockey in the first place. You know, trust your skill, trust your talent, have fun out there. But there's a certain point where the rah-rah go red uh, type cheering doesn't. You know, can't push you to the next level. And I believe that's the concern for a lot of fans when it comes to Martin St-Louis. But the other part is, you have to admit, he's growing as well. So, you know, maybe bringing an X and O's guy as an assistant coach would be a great move for them. I'm not saying Martin St-Louis has to go, but there's clearly deficiencies in the game when it comes to... Like, also, he runs the power play. So everyone that wants Alex Burroughs fired, remember that. <laughs> um, he runs the lines, which I'll be honest, today, they were weird. Um, just questionable choices that go against their very strong data analysis uh, uh, department and their preparation has just been awful so I think in that in that vein it can be important to isolate to to insulate your coach as well right it's not it's not enough to just insulate guys that maybe aren't good defensively Uh, you need an X's and O's guys on the bench like let's be honest right percent I know we love new style hockey free-flowing but when it comes down to it it's a game of details isn't it
1: yeah, it's it's absolutely a game of details and when you really get a chance to sit down and listen to an NHL coach mm-hmm. sort of openly speak um about, you know, their system or or what goes into their their messaging or their coaching, and I've had the opportunity to do this a handful of times with uh, coaches at lower levels, not necessarily NHL coaches, but you get some of this if you ever attend uh the coaches conference, you know, for yeah. example, the Red Wings head coach Derek Lalonde spoke at the coaches conference last year and actually broke down the Red Wings power play. That's amazing. You understand hear. the level of detail that goes <laughs> into incredible. that. It's incredible. Uh, you know, it's okay. If this guy's doing this, this is where you're going. If this is the, the read, then this is the pass. And this mm-hmm. is option one, two, three. It's far more complex than we're picking up on the screen. So you have to have those details in place um, and, and really driving that into each of your players' minds. So they understand how to make the right reads at the right times. And everybody on the ice, you know, understands it. I think one of the challenges about hockey is the game is so fast and one decision can absolutely turn, you know, an entire play. And so you really need a five man unit. That's all thinking the same and therefore acting predictably, if you will, based on the details that are being communicated because the minute one guy does the wrong thing, that's how the entire system breaks down uh, because the game is so fast. And so that's where those details really come in and making sure everybody understands those. And
0: there's a, one last thing I'd like to mention about coaching is uh, I know I went from criticizing Say Louis. Now I'm going to defend him. But the life of a coach is hectic as well, right? OK, so we have all the PR stuff with Ma- which Martin St. Louis absolutely hates and I get it. Like he's not a big fan of the media either in Montreal, but you have all of that. And then let's say you know you're jumping on a plane right after a game. You're staying up. You're staying up. Your team is sleeping. You're watching video to prep for the next game from your video coach. You're talking to your assistant coach. You're trying to figure out who's going to start. Like there's a lot going on and not a lot of time for coaches. So we do have to keep that in mind. Although I'll be honest, I'd like to see Martin Saint Louis a little bit of a you know I'd like to see him evolve. But we saw tonight. He put Yoel Armia on the top line. He switched uh, Slavkovsky. to have a little more offensive role. So we're starting to see him come out of his shell. But I really think, Prasanthan he's he's a little confused why they're not as amazing as he was. And it's the same thing as when Thierry Henry tried to coach Montreal, right? Uh, uh, the, um, the impact. It was frustrating for him because he's one of the best players of all time, right? But they were not. So same thing when Wayne Gretzky hit it. So I, I just think he needs some support in that vein. But hey... We'll, uh, we'll cross that road when we get there, because for now, it's fine that Martin Seloui is learning in year two or year three. Uh, oh, hey, Manchal, speaking of the impact, or no longer the impact, uh, Manchal, MUFC is here, and Jean Small is always here. Salut, Jean. J'espère que ça va bien. Um, <laughs> Trizak asks, will Slefkowski make at least one power move to the net this season? We'll see. We will see. Hey, uh, I, I, I'd like to get your take on this, Prasant, because... The Juraj Slavkovsky development has been confusing, to say the least. Um, There's some bright spots. There's some not-so-great spots in terms of overall development. They're saying the right thing, but they're just doing the wrong thing. Should should The guy's still the youngest guy on the roster. He's 19 years old. Um, should the fact that he's on pace for 20-some points in his second year in the NHL... I mean, regardless of all the small increments, the small improvements, that's not good enough for a first overall pick, is it?
1: I mean, you can disagree. I mean, historically speaking, it's not. Historically yeah. speaking, we've it was not a weak draft, though. Picks do that. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's it, it it we we've seen first overall picks at least in recent years. You know, obviously be a lot more productive earlier. Mm-hmm. Now, there's certainly been examples where that hasn't been the case. Uh, you know, we think back to Nolan Patrick uh, with the Flyers, obviously having you know significant challenges. Um, although going into that draft, I think there was a lot of you know, questions about how productive really Patrick and his year would end up being at the end of their, uh, you know, really at the end of the day. Whereas Slavkovsky, I think there was a lot of excitement given what he had did in, in his kind of D minus one year uh, that really had him, you know, immediately at the top of the draft board, you know, heading into his draft year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously had a very, very strong season. Uh, and so, you know, I think the, the biggest thing you have to be mindful of and speaking as someone who has seen plenty of drafts, draft prospects get you know their development messed up the messaging has to be consistent throughout the entire organization from the general manager down to the coach down to the trainers down to the skill coaches whoever's working with that specific player the player is confident in what they need to work on Mm -hmm. what their role is and ultimately how they're going to be evaluated yeah you know Obviously, we all want to see Slavkovsky score a lot of points. We want to see him, you know, make those power moves to the net. This guy is a a massive winger, right? Big old Clydesdale. You know, (laughs) you're talking about a guy that's got Ovechkin's body, really, right? I mean, he's the same size as Alexander Ovechkin. um, And you want to see him play with that level of power uh that's never really been slavkovsky's game though if you go back and you watch not even
0: at the olympics it's it's no no
1: you go back and watch him in the olympics you go back and watch him in liga that was never the way he played (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh that that you know he's a very high skill guy that wasn't necessarily a huge power forward even though he's got the body to do that and so you've got to find a way to maximize that skill at this at this next level it can absolutely be done there's plenty of guys where they've been able to get you know something out of these guys a guy i like to think about uh that that took a little bit now granted he wasn't a first overall pick but ended up playing out really nicely with a similar you know frame and 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 overall kind of uh, uh i i should say overall abilities jason robertson dallas you know you look <laughs> at him he was a guy was a second round pick and he you think about robertson he's six foot three 200 pounds is he that big yeah, yeah. okay I thought, I thought he was small. I thought he was like
0: 6'1 or something. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. he's a big Jason
1: boy. Robertson is a big hockey player. He's a guy that ended up taking a little bit in his career to getting started. You know, his second year, he ends up scoring 17 goals, 45 points for Dallas. Um, that's when he started to come in. It was in his COVID year. Uh, but it actually took him a couple of years to even get into the league. He didn't yeah. break in until 2019, 2020. He was a 2017 draft. Fun fact for uh, Montreal fans. He was drafted right after gustav winstrom in that draft uh you know the registered. hey hey gustav you mean Lindstrom, you mean you mean
0: goal scorer gustav yeah. three goals so far have you looked real quick Prasant? i don't mean to interrupt Well, i do have you looked at his underlying i think he's at like 24 xgf right now is well, oh yeah i could have told you that would have happened based
1: on watching him for the last handful of years but he's i just
0: the most handsome player with the ugliest stats that i couldn't play it's
1: (laughs) it's always a sticking point for me that he was 38th overall and then 39th overall was jason robertson but i digress so you know i I bring all of this up because jason robertson was a guy that took three years in the league and that was after it already took him two years post draft to even play in the league to really find his game so he's a guy where if i'm if i'm montreal i'm modeling development after jason robertson slavkovsky's got similar tools great shot just like Robinson, good skater that's the guy you want to be looking at. How did Dallas do this? How did they get that development track working for, for Robertson? What yeah. were the steps taken? And then see if you can craft him into that. Because that is what he can be. That's what you ultimately want to see is, is a Jason robertson type player out of your eyes.
0: It's funny because when I was going to a lot more Laval Rocket uh, games all the Dallas scouts that I spoke to and they're some of the nicest people and I, I kept talking to them and saying hey you guys have a lot of talent but are you getting pressure from and they're like yes absolutely absolutely right now we need these guys to all land we feel like we've done a great job but so far it's not happening so it's a good reminder with the Montreal Canadiens like if we if we pull everything apart and we look at the minutiae of it yes there's frustrating aspects but this is hardly the beginning of the middle of the rebuild I'd say it's maybe the midpoint of the beginning for the Montreal Canadiens like another two or three years is probably What's best? Um hi Nathan, how's it going? Nathan's in here and Frederick's here as well. They're, they're complaining about my plain wall. I could put anything up there, but I'm not I'm not big on putting crap on my wall. Um I could just put I'm just gonna print out a picture of Lyle Odoline and a picture of Yanni Ninema and then like I, I don't know. What what do you think I should put up on my wall here? I'll get a, 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 a Lindstrom jersey to match your Lindstrom jersey. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, quick question. Would you disagree if you I say he's the best defenseman of all time, even above Bobby Orr. and I hope there's no one watching right now that's going to get very angry about it. But in my opinion, Nick Lidstrom is the best defenseman of all time in in the NHL. And I feel it's crazy that we don't mention him.
1: I, you know what? um, I think everybody's got a different definition of best. And my, my personal opinion is we have to just, uh, we have to judge best within an era because of how much the game changes. Good call. Uh, you know, so so Bobby Orr was the best of his era, and in Lidstrom's era, I think he was the best of his era. And, I, and his I'll body. say that he was better than 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 Borg, Pronger, Niedermeyer, all the guys that were in that 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 mm-hmm. bucket. But I, I I sort of prefer to to focus on that because particularly in hockey, the game has changed so much. It's incredible. You know, over the last fifty years, the game has I mean, from even just fundamental rule changes mm-hmm. to the way the game is played, uh, it's 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 been very very different uh so i don't i don't like to think of greatest of all time smart smart order, answer unless you're talking about dominic Hashik, in which case no, no i will question. not hear any other any other comments questions you know when it comes to that but otherwise i i really prefer to focus on best of era that's which I, in which case i think that's ledstrom
0: and you just avoided angering a bunch of people unlike me so that's the wiser beyond your years um i will say dominic Hashik as a guy who grew up like the, the player i really love the player patrick roy he's like I fell in, I started watching hockey because of Mats Naslan, and I really fell in love with, with it because of Patrick Hua. He had that just winning streak. Um, oh, yeah. You know, so it's, I will say Dominic Hasek was easily the best goalie of all time, and that includes Hua being dominant in the playoffs, right? So, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that. Um, did Patrick Kane play? You know what, percent? I was so focused on the
1: Did Kane didn't play tonight, did he? No, no. He hasn't made his debut yet. He's been practicing, though. He's been practicing. The expectation is he'll play likely Tuesday against Buffalo.
0: Okay. Do you think that'll make a... By the way, and they love you in the chat, as Jean Small just mentioned. I uh, love your insights, Prashant. Which de- 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 deity do we have to make offerings to to get you on the show after every Habs Wings game? Hey, we'll do it. If he wants, I'll have Prashant on for absolutely every single Habs game. I'd be happy to do it. Um, if you have any questions, don't forget. We'll throw those in the chat. And we're gonna we're going to... Probably wrap up. Where we're at. we're about thirty minutes. Hey, we're actually doing good. I didn't think we'd have a lot to talk about tonight, <laughs> um, but I will say this: when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens and their future, should fans be expecting tangible improvements from an underlying numbers standpoint? And what I mean by that is, from last year, they've actually regressed in several key categories. We're talking about expect- expected goals, high danger chances against per sixty. That's it's a little too early, probably, to get worried about any type of of regression in that sense, right? Especially this is really their second year, uh, in earnest. So, should we be concerned that the numbers underneath, like they're exciting, they're fun, but the foundation is kind of shaky? Is is it, should that be a concern in year
1: two? In my opinion, no, because um, I think a lot of those numbers fundamentally are, are systems based numbers. Yeah. And Again, you know, if, if if you end up thinking back to you know, prior years, um, again, a, a, another team I'd like to give you guys to model or think about is the L.A. Kings. So the L.A. Kings are a team, that, a team. that have really executed a very nice rebuild Ugh. and have very slowly sort of turned that team around to now this season. They're an absolute juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Last year, they were 18th in five on five expected goals for six or expected goals for percentage. They're mm-hmm. first this year they've made a substantial jump because it's the development of those young players. And I think that's what you're really looking to see is as Montreal can develop Slavkovsky, as Caulfield continues to grow into the player he is, as Suzuki continues to be the player that he is, as you add a Lane Hudson, as you add a David Reinbacher, as you add these guys in, you want to see that progression happen. And that's what the Kings have done. Mm -hmm. You've seen a big jump from, you know, Quentin Byfield this year in L.A. You've seen Gabe Velarde over the last couple of years take a tremendous step forward. I mean, they've got guys like Jordan Spence on the back end that have doing, yeah. you know, tremendous. Trent Clark is coming. He's thing. not
0: even in the league yet, but he's coming. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> and so, so you know, those are those are things that I've seen uh, about the Kings, and they've been able to really slowly work their way up uh, to to being this kind of powerhouse team that they are this year. And I think that's what you're sort of looking for yeah. for Montreal. These are systems numbers with, with a roster that's frankly – not going to be able to get you there but if you can be a team that that slowly but surely you know makes these incremental improvements year after year particularly as you add uh these these younger guys in um i think i think you can be a very very successful team
0: again just a phenomenal answer with much more detail than i expected and uh i I think it's reassuring once in a while to hear it from outside you know the montreal bubble um Kay mentions this about, I'm gonna make it worse. Kay mentions Marc Bergerin, of course, she's shaking her hand at, at the sky like an old man, Simpson style, sets up what we have here, and then fucks off to LA and their winning team. I'm gonna make it even worse for you, Kay. Uh, well, at least for people who live in Quebec, we paid part of Marc Benjamin's salary this year because the Quebec government decided to give the LA Kings $7 million to play two preseason games. So they're going to take a chunk of that and pay him off. So not only <laughs> did he leave us with all this amazingness, um, some of his salary is going to be paid out of Canadian taxpayers' money pockets. So. It, 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 I, I didn't mean to put a more negative spin on it, but uh, it, it's funny how these things come. Um, I
1: mean, Mark, if there's a saving grace, and again, I'm all about parallels and looking at examples, look at what Ken Holland left the Red Wings. And that's that's where you're at here because Ken Holland's drafting, you know, we talk about Gustav Lindstrom going right before Jason Robertson. That's mm-hmm. a Ken Holland pick, yeah. right? Those are the things that that led to the Red Wings being where they are right now. Is missing in the 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018 drafts mm-hmm. that ultimately lead to the wings being so far behind. And it's it's this very similar thing that now Steve Weiserman has had to dig out. And you're hoping that the same can be done in Montreal. It does take a little bit of time to clean up the mess, but afterwards, that's when things can start to get kicked off.
0: I would argue, and I think Ken Hughes has actually done a great job getting moving some of those yep. contracts. Um, but Marc Benjamin actually left, it. I know some of these contracts are ugly, but overall compared to other handoffs, when he passed the baton, he left them with all their picks. He actually stockpiled a couple. He left them with all their prospects. He didn't make, yes, he spent money on free agency and he panicked with the whole Kotkin Yami, Philippe Dano, Joël Bouchard all leaving in one day, signing Mike Hoffman. Trading two first rounders or a first and a second for Christian Dvorak, not great. But overall, I believe Marc Bergevin, and I know a lot of people won't like hearing this, left the Habs in a pretty good situation considering he had been there for a decade. You know, you, you, he didn't, guys like Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield, all under his reign, right? Guys like Caden uh, Gooley and Jordan Harris, Arbor Jack guys. So as much as I criticize him, and I think he deserves it, you bring up a really good point there. Uh, the Habs were handed less garbage than the Detroit Red Wings. But eventually, and it's just like, I, I understand why Steve Eiserman did it. I hope that Kent Hughes has a long-term plan and doesn't decide that, hey. Because we're getting the vibes right now that present that they think they're almost ready. They talk about almost making the playoffs this year at the start of the year. They, they you know Signing Montalvo is a sign that they think... They want to have that starter. If you really want it to be worse, you're not going to sign a starter. You trade Montalbo. You keep Jake Allen. So I think the greatest fear right now is that they think they're a lot closer than they are. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm i just afraid that they're going to start to take off the emergency break and start rolling down that hill. So, so time will tell. That's the other part here. And as you mentioned, uh, there's a lot more positive than negative when you're looking from the outside. So that is great. Don't forget to subscribe, like the chat, and we're going at what? I could listen to percent all day, right 40 minutes, that's actually pretty good. Um Nathan Cunningham asks, uh why are there no ex-players as refs? Hmm. You know what I think it is? It's that uh, at the end of their careers they're broken. They're like when I spoke to Marc-André Bergeron a couple of years ago and I asked him, "Hey, what's what was the best decision or decision of your life?" He said retiring early. He said, "My knees work. None of my buddies' knees work." So Being a referee is one of the toughest jobs physically. You're skating more than most of these players, and uh, you got to be in great shape. And you also have to train. So I I I know what you mean. There are some ex players though. Um, I forget who they are, but for the most part, the guys that spend their whole life in the NHL, their their bodies are broken at the end. It's sad, but but true. If you have any questions for Prasanth, do not forget to throw those in the chat. We're gonna get. uh, I know everyone in the chat loves loves him. I'm here too, guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, and as Kay mentions, GMs also do this funny thing called lying. I that's a great point because with Kent Hughes, what he says and what he does are two different things, and you really have to pay attention to what he does. And you know, he's been even with Josh Anderson, he was goosing it a little bit saying he's getting all these offers. Oh, he's getting offers for for Jake Allen, Caden Primo. So um absolutely good point, Kay, as per usual. You got to follow, follow the money in this case, not necessarily the mouth. Uh, Rest have to skate the whole game, says Trinka. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Uh, Dominique mentions, percent is my discovery of the week. I want to see him more often. Yeah, it's it's crazy that we haven't had him on. I think you did one show with Andrew before.
1: Yeah, I did one last year. And then unfortunately, the uh, the first Wings-Habs game didn't work out because I was actually at the game in, oh. in Detroit. And so I couldn't get back to my hotel in time to, to, to actually record with Andrew
0: how dare you you can uh we're gonna i'll throw his uh his twitter handle in the chat so you can go ahead and follow him but you do a ton of
1: what are you working on right now i know you you pulled back a little bit right from your hockey coverage yeah so i don't i don't formally write anymore obviously you know like you mentioned at the at the top i used to write for winging and motown the athletic the people, yeah. uh I used to host the podcast for the athletic i pulled back a lot uh just because uh you know personal work got quite busy i had a i had a child and now he's two and so that consumes a lot Aww. of my time he's two
0: uh,
1: yeah he's two already i know it's crazy no but sleep for you <laughs> no 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 sleep at all no sleep at all <laughs> that's why i'm up here right now right because it's like you know this is my time to actually be awake and not have to be distracted by anything but you no know, right right now a lot of what i focus on is is what i consider anything that's interesting from a statistical or kind of way to evaluate teams players prospects <laughs> Um, you know, I like to do a lot of work with, with prospect data, particularly, I don't know that we've done enough with kind of comparing and understanding all of these different scouting rankings that are out there in the public space uh, compared to what we see NHL teams do. So this past year, uh, you know, I actually built a website and worked on uh, a, a project uh, to house all of the different rankings that are mm-hmm. out there for prospect sites and then ultimately build a model to kind of generate and expect like which players would be taken next based on the public rankings. And then seeing actually how closely that compared to what NHL GMs did. And then you end up seeing kind of the various differences and then understand sort of, what do public scouts tend to prefer? What do NHL GMs tend to prefer? And it's a very interesting project. It ultimately resulted in my partner getting hired by the Chicago Blackhawks. So oh, did he? That was a yeah. I didn't get hired by the Blackhawks. So now I've got to I've got to restart that one. But that was got to wait until
0: that was. Sorry to interrupt. That was the one who um, I think we hosted one of his articles, right? I'm On Montreal hockey now. Yeah, was yeah, it, yeah. Oh, yeah wow, okay, guys,
1: then just boom, hired by the. Blackhawks. Yeah, boom, okay. hired by the Blackhawks started in October. So, uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what happens. You already had somebody, uh, on right for your site that, uh, that now works in the NHL. So, there you go. You know, it's, uh, but it's <laughs> crazy. So, a lot of what I focus on is just things that I find interesting. You know, and, and folks are always more than welcome to to shoot me ideas. You know, people like Shannon Goldman and Dom wow. and, uh, constantly shoot me ideas and, and I try and help them where I can. So, mm-hmm always feel free to do that because it's it's a lot of fun to, to just kind of play around with the stuff and see what, what's interesting.
0: And sometimes things don't work out and that's also part of the process. But I, I feel like your greatest strength is that there is, first of all, there's no arrogance whatsoever. It's concise. It's not contrived discussion right it's not it's not uh making it complicated for the for the sole purpose of sounding intelligent we know that you are intelligent so you even when you're dealing with someone like me you make it simple enough that i can absorb it but i'm still following along so i really feel like your delivery and just your grasp of everything and your your, your cool common collected demeanor is a huge asset for the data analysis category especially online and whatnot you know how tempers can flare but uh, <laughs> it's it's i'm really like I, I fought in the fenwick wars of 04 and uh, i'm i'm past that now i'm now i'm on my my pension but um i think we need good voices especially to keep supporting the new ideas whether they're good or not and and you you do that Absolutely, perfectly. So I'd like to thank you, honestly. On on there's so much of your work and others, obviously as you mentioned, Dom and Shana, that I've piggybacked on to seem somewhat intelligent. Uh, So I do appreciate that, honestly. It's 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 really important, especially we have to cross that bridge between, yes, data is important, but sports are supposed to be fun. So you really have to, and this is the part, the fun part that we often forget. So I feel like you keep that in mind as well, because at the end of the day. That's what we're there for, right? We're there to watch a game, to see the fun. So I honestly yeah. present, I really appreciate the way you approach everything.
1: Well, I, I appreciate that. And I like to bring it back to, you know, one of my other passions, which is uh, bourbon and, and whiskey. Uh, <laughs> now you're talking you my know. language. All right. Bourbon. Right, right, right. So the <laughs> same way I say people should enjoy whiskey however they want to drink it. People should enjoy sports however they want to enjoy it, right? Right. If you, want to, if you want to put an analytical cap on and spend some time slicing data and reviewing it from this perspective, absolutely go for it. If you want to say, I'm just here for fun, that's let fine me too. just watch the game, that's, fine that's too. totally fine too. Yeah. There's there's not a right way to do this. It's the same way with drinking whiskey. You want to pour your Pappy Van Winkle with Coke? Ooh. Fine, that's your bottle. No, you okay. There has to be
0: limits here, present. There has I'm to be limits. I'm just saying,
1: I wouldn't do it, but you enjoy your whiskey <laughs> you know how I, you want to enjoy your whiskey. You do it, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The purpose is to have fun. And so- it's, it's the same concept with sports, right? The purpose here is to have fun. So I'm going to do it because this is how I find it interesting. Yeah. Someone may not find it interesting and that way, and that's totally fine. That yeah, doesn't bother me. Yeah,
0: absolutely. No, and no, I agree with that. And now, all I can think about is bourbon. So thank you very much for that. But, uh, and no, don't,
1: uh, don't worry. It's right here. It's right here. <laughs> oh, man. Just I go,
0: see, I'm on the, I'm on the uh, Nick Suzuki uh, drink right now. Um, did you, have you actually ever heard of someone putting Pappy, putting Coke in Poppy Van Winkle? Have you?
1: I'm sure somebody's done it. I've never seen anybody do that, but I've also only been around a Pappy Van Winkle bottle twice in my life. I'll, so I'll, I'll say this.
0: I-, I think it's the most overrated. It's delicious. Absolutely. And I would, literally kill someone for it but it's actually when compared to the price it's not worth it
1: yeah what people sell it for now and again again with whiskey right if you want to pay for that for it fine you go ahead and pay that for it Mm -hmm. you do what you want to do with it because as long as you open the bottle that's all i care about
0: i've always long maintained that the only you know people talk about who's a good fan who's a bad fan the only bad fan is the one that tries to tell others how to enjoy their game right so if you want to exactly right to be sarcastic that's fine if you want to you know just do you just don't, don't try to impose your weight as you mentioned on others okay i actually lost my uh chat here i got so enthralled with the discussion there I am <laughs> let's go back um do you think that the red wings are locked this year to make the playoffs as i'm looking at it things can change in a hurley hurley a, a hurry man uh you know buffalo could finally find their groove although it's going to be tougher with some of their injuries. Ottawa is too talented to, to be that bad. Tampa is always that weird team that, you know, they're not good enough to win anymore but they're going to be in the race. It looks good right now. What's your prediction for the end of the year for the Red Wings?
1: You know, it's it's certainly tough to say. Um I think them missing the playoffs so many years in a row has certainly scarred me and maybe uh, made me a little bit more of a skeptic that yeah. uh I'm not fully believing. I mean, but right now in the East they're fifth in point percentage. That's and great. How are their you underlyings
0: know, right now? I'm going to go take a look at them. You know, that.
1: the underlyings aren't great. And so that's where there's that little bit of, of, <laughs> of hesitancy. I mean, they're they're about a 48-49% five on five expectation. That's not the word.
0: That's honestly it's not. The, it's not. You the can worst. make the playoffs with 48%. I know it used to not be the case, but it's it's doable.
1: Yeah. You can absolutely make the playoffs. You know the challenge will be how does the Atlantic Division end up shaking out? Right? We all talked about it being this monstrosity at the beginning of the year in the off season. Toronto was underwhelming. Really seen it play out that way. Toronto has right?
0: been underwhelming. Tampa Bay's been under yeah. underwhelming.
1: You know, it's I don't know. Boston's starting to regress back to the pack. Yeah. You know, Ottawa and Buffalo don't appear ready to have taken the jump. <laughs> so, you know, it it, it it you sort of seeing that there is an opportunity for a team to step in, and that's yeah. what Detroit's really done. They fill the void, but. Does Tampa with Vasilevsky, does he eventually find his games, not counting the eight goals he just let in against Dallas today? Do Buffalo and, you know, do Buffalo and Ottawa ultimately pick up their game? Ottawa, like you said, is far too talented to be struggling like this. And even even Buffalo to a lesser extent. I mean, Buffalo was a handful of points out of the playoffs last year. They they are not a 458 points percentage team. They should be a lot better, too. So, You know as these things end up changing over the course of the year uh do we see the wings start to come back to the pack i don't know i i don't know right now i think i would call it a a coin toss 50 50. um i want to say they'll take a coin yeah i want to say that the wings would be in the playoffs i mean hell i'll take 50 50 after the last eight years so uh, (laughs) you know (laughs) give me that right now but i i there's a lot of hockey to be played we're only 23 games into the season
0: yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's like finding a Dr. Pepper in the desert. It's the most disgusting drink on earth, but you're going to drink it, okay? Because it's an oasis in that case. I hope you don't like <laughs> Dr. Pepper. I think it's a crime against humanity. It tastes terrible, uh, but that's just me. Okay, I think we're going to wrap up very shortly. I mean, I could stay here and listen to you all day long, but uh, well, we're, we're running up on an hour. If anyone has any questions in the chat, go ahead. And uh, I'm going to allow Prasant to answer everything now because I'm enjoying listening to him and I'm sure you're enjoying listening to him more than me. I'll be back way too many shows coming up anyhow um Andrew has his parents in town which is absolutely great they get to spend time with the kids and and you know what Andrew works so hard you know it's it's you don't see what's going on behind the scenes but he's working with just you know what 20 people that there's issues all the time and it's not it's just normal issues that arise and he's been the most patient and nicest boss that i've and it's difficult too because we're friends right so um that's not always doable but I will say this, Andrew's getting a well-deserved break and during the Christmas time, I'll be here as well. I like to give him a little bit of time off in the holidays and that's why I take all the Anaheim 11 p.m. starts. So you're going to be seeing my face. <laughs> you're going to be seeing my face a little bit. But for now, if you have any questions for percent, throw it in the uh, the chat. We have one from Jean Small. Which RFA should the Habs target next? Do you mean, Jean, do you mean like their own RFAs or... Because... Do you think we're ever gonna see another offer sheet after that whole uh Aho uh, issue? I, I still think you
1: will. I'd love to. You know, I because and, and I'll I'll kind of bring this back with a really long answer and then and by long I mean broad answer and I'll narrow it here. Mm-hmm. I think the way hockey teams are constructed moving forward is gonna be fundamentally different than what we've seen over the last fifteen years. Oh yeah. Because and, and a lot of this has to do with one, this how much the salary cap is gonna go up over yeah. the next three years. The expectation is by as much as 10 million in the next three years. After being flat so for several years. That's going to open up yeah. overspending and free agency, right? And and then being able to do these trades. The second thing is the number of changes that have been made to the draft lottery just in the last 10 years mm-hmm. has really changed how teams can focus their rebuilds. You, cannot re- you can't build a team the same way Edmonton did. You can't build a team the same way the Pittsburgh Penguins no. did. No. right you have to you have to adapt and you have to be able to do things differently and really what we're seeing now amongst the top teams is either you have teams like Vegas that have been able to you know really leverage their cap space quite well they've been able to win trades you mm-hmm. know uh, be able to sign key free agents they've done a tremendous job you see a team like Dallas that's been able to draft really well late really? in the draft yeah uh, with a lot of the players that they've been able to hit you know, Colorado is one of kind of the last teams that really built their superstars, you know, through the draft. You're not gonna have a ton of that moving forward. You're not gonna have a lot of repeat lottery winners, particularly with the new rule that the NHL's put in about the amount of times you can win yeah. the lottery. So you you really can't have another New York Rangers scenario where you're getting Lafreniere and, and, and Kako and you know, whatnot, and then you have Adam Fox forcing his way there. You're gonna have to get creative in how you build teams. And so all all, all that being said, an offer sheet is an underutilized yes. tool, and I think as teams have to get creative in how they go about doing this, um, an offer sheet may become more palatable for some of those teams, hmm. or palatable. Um, that's it. So, yeah, that's, we'll we'll see. That's one of I the smartest answers I've heard. Yeah, that's, yeah.
0: that's well, and I'll say this. Um, I think now that we're also seeing GMs move out of the mold of having to be ex-players, we're seeing guys with business degrees get hired, we're seeing guys that have more than a high school education. And I'm not trying to insult anyone else, but I mean, you're in charge of a multi-billion dollar company, right? So you should have that type of expertise. I think also what happens now that we're getting the non-ex-NHLers... It's a little less of a old boys club so you're not afraid to screw over your golf partner because you're not golfing with him you're not his best friend anymore whereas a lot of these ex-players there's a certain code of respect that they had so even Marc Benjamin when he did the Aho offer sheet which in the long run it was just his agent playing the Habs against the Canes right hilariously doing it masterfully but um even he got a lot of crap from other GMs in the league. Like, how dare you? How dare you do this? So I love hearing the idea that they're going to maybe, you know, get out of their comfort zone a little bit. I think it would make it a lot more interesting. And, and it's guys, it's not necessarily the big names, percent that I think would be good for offer sheets. You know, the guys that it's going to cost you a third or a second and a third, that type of thing on teams that are, you know, that got silly in silly season and don't have enough caps, cap space. So I really hope you're right, and you usually are, but a more aggressive <laughs> brand of GM would be, fantastic for the NHL. I, I, I will say this because Vegas, I know, different situation, but their entrance in the NHL was such a breath of fresh air because they're like, fuck it, we're going for it. We're going to go for it every year. I understand they yeah. didn't have the baggage, but they showed that if you're aggressive, you can allow teams like Ottawa to develop, draft, pay for everything and then once the player is ready, it's like, here, I'll take them for, I think they traded Stone for like half a Toblerone bar or something like that. Yeah. So you can take advantage of that and I really hope teams get aggressive like I I feel like it's not gonna be as aggressive as I want but uh, yeah offer sheets would be absolutely fantastic for um for a little more activity in the NHL because uh, one of my favorite te- tweets is you know what was it the NBA trades 17 superstars in one day yeah. and that what is <laughs> the the swamp rabbits have uh, signed an ECHL player it was the most exciting yeah. hockey news so um we could use some Fun news that isn't necessarily related to terrible events would be perfect for hockey. Okay, so, yeah, silly season K is what I always call it, but I'm going to say this now. I think teams have done a much better job recently not overspending in free agency. So as Prasanth mentions, that might, once the purse strings are a little looser, that might get bad again, and that makes it more interesting. Um Would you have paid, Goliath? full mentions, Montaubo's signing, would you have paid... 3.15 million for three years for Samuel Montabo. This is a guy who's, he's been top 10 uh, GSS, GSAA, uh, GSAE. Um, but before that he had terrible numbers. Is this a case you think of a guy just taking longer to develop or is this a guy getting, just really finding his, you know, being in a situation where he faces a lot of, a lot of shots. So he's always going to save a few more than expected
1: you know it's a, it's it's a great question and i'm largely of the mindset that you know goalies will by by and large a majority of goalies are going to give you roughly league average yeah. goaltending yeah yeah across the course of their career they'll ultimately end up around league average mm-hmm. there are going to be periods of time where they are extremely good and there are going to be periods of time where they're not so good yeah and this is going to happen to basically every goalie that's not an elite goalie and and really right now you can say there's maybe three or four elite goalies in the nhl if so when you're talking about guys like uh you know montembo primo allen whatnot you know jake allen has had his ups and downs Mm -hmm. but his ups have been really good Mm -hmm. and his downs have been really bad and i think you're going to see the exact same thing with montembo and potentially this is one of his ups periods yeah and at 3.15 million it's not going to be that much money, particularly as the cap increases over the next couple no. of years. He's no John Gibson contract or anything like right. that. Right. No. At, at worst, I think you're going to get league average goaltending over the course of those three That's years. That's what you want. He's 27, what you, want. you know, over the, taking him to 30 uh, the, the extension kicks in next year. So mm-hmm. taking him to 31, I think you're likely to get roughly league average goaltending over the course of okay. that. But there's going to be high periods and there's going to be low periods. Um, and, and with the, you know, with Jake Allen's contract being up after next year, you know, Caden Primo being a restricted free agent. Jeez, also, you did, after next year, you did your homework? You're gonna, wow. Well, <laughs> it, look, if you tell me I'm coming on, you know, I love a, this. A, a Habs show. I got to know about the Habs, right? So I do wow. my homework here. Uh, <laughs> you you got to make sure that you have a plan at least in place where there's some staggering or overlapping, and really, mm. you know, not to add another wrinkle to all of this. But I think you're going to start seeing more teams go to the three goalie, you know, rotation. Mm-hmm. I think what we saw Vegas, Vegas do yeah. last year. With five different goalies, and ultimately you end up with Aiden Hill being the one that takes him to the Stanley Cup. Aiden Hill being the exact same type of journeyman goaltender that comes in and wins—you know, all of a sudden gets hot, wins you a Stanley Cup.
0: I love that. I you feel- see
1: more teams, and we're talking about a Detroit team also. Yeah, sorry, I was saying we're just talking about a Detroit team also that's doing the exact same thing uh, right now, carrying three goalies. So that may even be a thing and, and you've got to have three capable NHL goalies.
0: I think when someone mentions here Nathan Cunningham in the chat, why were the goalies back better back then? I don't know if the the elite goalies were better than the elite goalies now, but it's you had a bit yet a wider spread, right? So whereas now you have guys at like the center lines here, you have guys that are slightly below, slightly above um Back then, there was a bigger separation between the bad and the good, a lot fewer goalie coaches. A lot of peewee leagues in Canada didn't have coaches, uh, goalie coaches whatsoever, which is why we saw the invasion of the European goalies. They were getting goalie coaches from the, the get-go, and they were having specific training. Whereas in Quebec, it was like, you know, oh, we have Patrick Royce to spare. Well, we don't anymore. So I think it's just a matter of the market becoming a little more flooded right? with, with, with talent, and the, the discrepancy in talent is slowly... Slowly, and, and, since the Blackhawks won with Niemi, I've been convinced that a goalie is not that important in the NHL. So as you mentioned, uh, a multi-goalie system might start to work out, almost like a, a rotation in baseball. And, and the big one here is that you're not destroying their knees. You're not going to Henrik Lundqvist them. You're not going to carry price them into submission, right? So load management, I know it's a it's a term that coaches hate, but very important especially for your goaltender. So I'm with you. Yeah,
1: you know, even to a, a, a certain extent, Derek Lalone mentioned it on the uh, prior to the Wings game tonight. Mm-hmm. One of the advantages of that three-goalie system is, you know, for example, on a back-to-back, the goalie that you take as a backup for the first game, yeah, uh, you know, you're the, the goalie that you actually want to start the next game stays at home. They did
0: that with Montabo last weekend, yeah. essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah.
1: and and that's what the Wings did with Alex Lyon, you know, when he had to come home and play the Blackhawks. The Wings had to play the Rangers in New York and then went back home to play the Blackhawks. They left Alex Lyon at home in Detroit. Yeah. They took James Reimer to be the backup for Husso in New York. And then Lyon's fresh and ready to go to start the next game. Perfect. There's There's a different mentality to all of that. Ultimately, what I'm getting at is I think you're going to see goalies get treated much more... Like starting pitchers in baseball, much more load management, much more minutes restriction, much more sort of counts on how long, how many games these guys are playing. Because in the same way we think about pitchers' elbows with Tommy John surgery and their whatnot, knees for the goalie, you're going to see the same thing with knees and groins and goalies. And groins, you know what?
0: It is more groins than anything. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the one body parts that you can't work out of that much, right? So that's why you get so many groin injuries. Nope. <laughs> um, oh, Kay mentions, and we're going to wrap it up just after this, but uh, our favorite get, our favorite person in the chat, we got our favorite guest and our favorite person in the chat, Kay mentioning. Uh, I was going to make your fun fact into a not-so-fun fact, but the Habs have more goals from D-men than any other team. Absolutely. They have one more goal than the Avs by the defensemen, but right now the defensemen are scoring about 35% of the Canadians' goals, whereas the Avs defensemen are scoring about... 20% of the uh, Colorado goals. So I think it just goes to show that, uh, you know, Martin Seloui put an onus on joining the rush this year. It's hurting defensively. They're scoring more, but um, it kind of shines a light on the lack of offense overall. But we saw some encouraging notes tonight. We saw UL Armia is just, your, Armia's back, right? Armia's good to go. Uh, we saw J- Jesse Yulunin, who needs a big, big, big promotion. Let's get him going. Um, Jaden Struba as well. So there was some positives. And as... If anyone didn't have a chance to hear Prasant at the beginning of the show, I beg you, go back and listen because he has a very smart, wise approach to it that uh, will probably make you feel a little bit better about what's going on in Montreal. Um, Trizak, yeah, sorry. Trizak's also the best, my favorite person in the chat. I love you, (laughs) Trizak. And Goliath Full, I don't know you that much, but I also, I will eventually love you. And Joe Segreto, you're talking about Garth Snow's equipment. You, you, you guys should have all seen the equipment back in the day. Tom Barrasso wore goalie pads that by the second period, they were so soaked with water they weighed about 55 pounds. So uh, yeah, that's the other difference here is that goalie's the equipment, and no offense to Wayne Gretzky, but they know how to block the lower part of the net. That's been the biggest change <laughs> with goalies. Okay, Prasant, where can we find you right now? I put your name on Twitter. Are you working on I know you spoke about the podcast. Um, can you remind everyone uh, what we're uh, looking for?
1: yeah so you'll find most of the data analysis and work over on on twitter um that mark will obviously uh kind of drop my my username so that folks can pay attention to and we had to uh we had to take a little bit of a a hiatus due to uh sean shapiro and i getting quite busy with uh some family stuff but we we also run the expected by whom podcast uh, which will hopefully be picking back up with a fun uh former NHL player as a guest Uh, i'll i'll tease that um but really, the, Lyle the is expect- it Lyle
0: Odelein? Are you going to bring me on? It's not Odelein?
1: Lyle Oda uh, No, did not play for Montreal in his career, but not oh. in the league anymore. But <laughs> but functionally, the the purpose of the Expected by Whom pro- podcast is to really demystify a lot of what yeah. goes into analytics. Bringing in the folks that actually created the stuff to talk about it, uh, getting perspectives from NHL executives. We've had a number of assistant GMs, uh, you know, different. Uh, you know directors of analytics we've had ohl folks on uh we've had folks on uh you know from other leagues and and really it's all about how they're communicating analytics to players and ultimately marrying that with the human side of the game so kind of interesting take on on, on hockey we've been on hiatus for the last couple of months we'll be mm-hmm. picking back up soon though. i guess you have
0: some other you mentioned the two-year-old you have other stuff you probably should take care of, a little um, bit. A yeah, little you know. bit. <laughs> um I I they want you back. Are you gonna come back for the next Red Wings game or what?
1: Well, you tell me when to come back. I haven't even looked that far ahead in the schedule for the next I one. I don't even know. I yeah.
0: I live minute to minute. Since the pandemic, time has no meaning to me anymore. So I yeah. People thought, what are you doing next week? I'm like, next week, that's in four months. Um <laughs> I, I, I honestly, present your approach is exactly what we need to bring the data analysis side into an area where everyone understands it. So I really appreciate it. And, um, I'd love to have you back. Uh, we're going to talk about this offline, but I think, I think the, the, the chat has spoken and they want you for every single Red Wings game. So hey. maybe, maybe we'll have to get you on the roster full time. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, oh yeah. So, and as Jean mentions, well, I'll say it at the end, but, uh, Claire's already gone. So I can't do my classic by Claire. And speaking of not knowing when the next game is, I don't know when the ha- Monday, maybe versus, Oh yes. Seattle. And we have Chanel is going to come on. She was on the show uh, last year, big Seattle Kraken fan. So she's going to be amazing. Prasant, thank you so much. Everyone, like the chat, subscribe, and no uh, ad read tonight, Trizak. You're absolutely right. I checked up on it too. That's what I love about my chat. They're always reminding me like, hey, Mark, <laughs> you have stuff to do other than just chat. So merci tout le monde. Je vous apprécie. We'll see you on Monday. And don't forget So jump on Twitter, follow Prasanth because one of the smartest guys you'll have on your feed. That's it. That's all. Thank you to everybody in the chat. And uh, on va se voir lundi. We will see each other on Monday. Salut.